Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. As I came down the Highgate Hill, the Highgate Hill, the Highgate Hill, as I came down the Highgate Hill, I met the sun's bravado, and saw below me, fold on fold, greater pearl and pearl to gold, this London-like a land of old, the land of El Dorado. Henry Howarth, Bashford's Romances. So as usual, I've opened the front door and grabbed the first two likely-looking Londoners who happen to be out there. It does seem that everyone's got a story to tell. I think screaming does help as well. Ooh, yes, the Warnham and Walrus. They dug out bodies in 1887, 1873. What did he look like when he came out the other end of that? You've got Sarah Palin coming. How do you feel about that? A little bit pathetic. <laughs> So we're in the parlour of Dr Johnson's house. One sees a story that is both of protests and of coming together. So they're banning people from bringing food to homeless. Yeah, they're banning soup runs. You know, we weren't buckled by the terrorism. A word in your eye, don't worry or push. A step in the gate is worth two in the bush. Which area of ridiculousness do we start on with that story? Why would you give a medal to a pigeon? Listen, you're all idiots. You don't want to start culture or anything. No running, no throwing. This is pretty serious stuff. You engage with other people, you link across to other people. It's just huge. It's gigantic. <laughs> How many times have you done this so far? That depends. What, what do you think of that approach? I think that's terrible. London life is a really rich experience, and there's a lot that's good about living Boris here. Johnson. He weighs as much as 40 school children. What a peculiar conversation. Hello, it's Friday, September the 21st, 2012. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe, and this is Londonist Out Loud, a podcast of news, views, and curiosities from London, UK. You can download the show free on iTunes, hook up on Facebook at Londonist Out Loud, or tweet me at Londonist Sound. Well, we're in Bermondsey Street near London Bridge today. It's a very attractive sort of morning, just easing into autumn. With me here are Sean Mead. She's the founding editor of Domestic Sluttery, a UK-based blog for women who have better things to do, discovering the best in design, fashion, food and travel. Also with us is Lara Haley, who made a patchwork quilt based on the Peckham Peace Wall. And it's been on show at Southwark Cathedral, just around the corner from here, and this week moved to Peckham Multiplex. Hello, you both. Hi, well, thank you. Um, let's uh, start with this Peckham Peace Wall, because I, I think that the, the, uh, the identifying what that is and, and what it looked like is probably key to understanding, Lara, your piece of work the Peckham Peace Wall was um, a thing which was made after the riots which happened in London last year and it was um, set up by Peckham Sheds which were a community theatre group and they invited people to write down um, their thoughts about the riots the sort of 
immediately after it had happened, 4,000 of these post-it notes were collected and put on um, the pound shop window. Um, these have recently been turned into a permanent installation, which is now in uh, Peckham Square. Um, my quilt is a version of this, but obviously not with 4,000. This might be a silly thing to do. Obviously, any any Londoner who was uh, in London this time last year will remember the riots extremely vividly. And, of course, they uh, gained international attention as well. Some very striking images there. A quick recap, perhaps, for our listeners overseas as to what brought the the riots about and how these messages came to be and what the sort of the mood was around that time, perhaps. Um, Well, the reason the riots started was because um, someone called Mark Duggan was shot in North London in Tottenham. Um, This seemed to get sort of completely out of control and riots spread all across London, in fact, across Britain. And of course, we remember uh, images of people jumping out of burning buildings. It seems... Doesn't it seem surreal to think that that was actually a thing? The carpet shop in Croydon as well. You know, it's like family businesses were completely and utterly lost. Um... You know, and I've, I, I find it completely, completely mad that it was, you know, the death of a man that started this. But yet the way people kind of fought back was by attacking their local shops. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense to me. It is nonsensical. It didn't feel like London. It, it, no. f- it felt like a completely alien place. A war um, zone or something. Yeah. Not that I've ever been to a war zone, but that is what Peckham looked like. It had something very 28 days later about, yes. about it. Yeah. Um, and, but it was also scary to realise that, I mean, because I live in Greenwich, which isn't far from Peckham, and Greenwich was empty. Mm. And yet seeing Peckham on the news and seeing how terrifying it looked was actually really upsetting. People were absolutely terrified. I actually... Um, um, started a, I teach art and I started a new course yesterday and two of my students were from Peckham and I was explaining to them about this uh, quilt that I'd made and they were saying that, you know, they were terrified to go out on the streets in Peckham that night. Um, it was just crazy. So that's a bit of the background and uh, well we've got some examples here in front of us and the the, the messages here on brightly coloured squares we've got Peckham Love uh, on one, uh, another one says there's no need for violence, Peckham is our hometown, respect it um, because it's awesome says another this is uh, this is a great one, gangster it's only South Central LA in your head, <laughs> that's that's brilliant and I'm touching these and um, we I can feel that these are, these are stitched and so are they, these are all done by hand yeah, it's all um, hand stitching. Um, like I said, I worked. I started off making the quilt myself, so I thought of the idea and I thought, right, yeah, I'll start making this quilt. I've made quite a lot of um, quilts in my own practice, so it's not something sort of unusual. Um, I stitched these six here, which was my kind of like sample. I realised how long it was going to take. So I thought, right, I need to get other people involved in doing this. So I asked students, friends, um, I worked with community groups in Peckham. Um, I kind of feel like working together with lots of people, it actually made it more of an authentic piece of artwork as well. Whereas if it had just been me sitting at home stitching these 400 squares, I'd have gone a bit crazy. But um, I think also it just brings the community together more and it kind of shows how people come together in adversity. There's some very pointed symbolism here, isn't it? And the idea of stitching things back together. I think that was actually really something that that was obvious in Peckham. You could see a lot of people doing that, and it's really nice to have that in something that's 
tactile but also permanent as well mm-hmm. and yeah I think a memory of the good stuff that came out of the riots and I think there was good stuff um, certainly with the kind of restoration and kind of how the communities pulled together afterwards and I think the quilt is kind of a gorgeous way of doing that. So I do wonder if sometimes we lose a little bit of our community we're always talk, talking about London being this big cosmopolitan city actually when you break it down it's very small communities and remembering that is a really nice thing to kind of keep hold of and then you get really gorgeous projects like the quilt and just a a nice feeling about where you live and I think that's a good thing I've certainly heard that sentiment expressed uh, in regard to Peckham. Peckham seems to have something special going on there. I don't know if it's a, uh, something that's growing or if it's always been there. I know there are two Peckhams as well. Some people regard there as being the sort of old school Peckham and the, the new fangled posh Peckham. <laughs> I think um, I've lived in Peckham for I think like 10 or 11 years now and even I can feel the change over that time. There's loads of loads of sort of new artistic ventures happening there you've got the bussy building which has you know all sorts of art exhibitions and arts cafe club nights um you've got peckham space you've got the hannah barry gallery there's very very much a sort of um a yeah sort of community arts sort of feeling but then at the same time i do sense it is still segregated like it seems to be very white, middle class, that whole art thing that's going on. But then you still have the kind of other people of Peckham. It's like if you go to, like, Frank's Cafe, which I'm sure you've both heard of, it is a great venue on top of the multi-storey car park. You know, beautiful views, great bar, great vibe. But it's pretty much 99% white, which I find very peculiar in somewhere like Peckham, which isn't 99% white. I think it's... I think it's um a difficult thing because I don't think it's that people are excluded but I think it's just difficult to cross those kind of social cultural um, barriers for instance where the bussy building is and where the Hannah Barry gallery is in is in um, this industrial park and if you go to private views at um, the Hannah Barry gallery it's really interesting because you'll actually have sort of African church ceremonies going on at the same time that there are people going to these sort of private views Um, so they do so people mix together in the space as well like no one bothers about each other but they're not actually doing the same thing come together so two very conflicting communities but not joined together in any way but not actually conflicting either No, no absolutely but I think last time I went to Frank's it felt like it could have been in Shoreditch and that made me feel quite sad actually Um, and I think it's lost something so we're in a venue here which is ideal for mixing people up and uh, I should say that differently (laughs) not for mixing people up it comes out slightly dizzy Uh, artists and makers and designers and writers and and things here tell us a bit about this place that we're in down a side street uh, near London Bridge Um, we're actually in the Woolyard building um, which Um, is where domestic sluttery offices are based with the creative charity Ideas Tap. Um, They work with all sorts of 
kind of independent artists and designers, but also larger companies such as the National Theatre and the Old Vic, um, just to kind of bring a little bit of creativity. Um, and the area is perfect for it. Um, they're working with the Bermondsey Street Festival tomorrow. Um, and they, if you look around, like Alex Munro is down the road as a jewellery designer. Um, there are so many kind of independent galleries around here, the white cubes down the road. It's the perfect area to have something so creative kind of around here. And the restaurants on Bermondsey Street are also really lovely. Okay, that's a few free meals lined up for Sean <laughs> Mears there. Well, let's talk about your website, Domestic Sluttery, which offers a wide array of things to purchase. It does look like it's a massive shopping website. Um, and on the face of it, it could be called that I guess um, it's very much seeking out the best in design and interiors and in fashion as well um, it launched three and a half years ago when I think everyone was being a little bit careful, more careful with their money and which it seemed, then seemed strange to launch something that is about spending money but actually it's more about not spending spending it on something frivolous waiting and supporting an independent designer and finding a piece of art that you really love and not just going to Primark and spending eight quid on the dress saving up for something that you absolutely love and everything that you do spend your money on being precious and being special and meaning something to you Um, and now the site has kind of expanded so we've taken that to look into more travel stuff so instead of just booking a holiday in next to a beach we'll write about some really unique places to go on holiday whether it's a kind of clock tower on the Devon estuary or a kind of a mental asylum in Edinburgh we've written about both of those um the travel pieces are some of my favorites um well it seems to me that all of this hinges on uh, not necessarily yours, I know there's lots of contributors mm. to this site, but it seems to hinge on a particular person's view of what's fashionable and what isn't. Because there are so many people on the site, um, there's, I mean, we certainly follow trends, but we all argue, we all have different opinions, um, and we, yeah, we, we all differ. I mean, sometimes they, someone will write about a pair of shoes and one of us will just kind of comment and just go, they're the most horrible things. Um, and we argue and it's fun. So it wouldn't ever be just about one person's kind of trends and thoughts. Um, if it was, it would just be me writing a lot about plates and that would get dull really quickly. Um, but we also have areas that we love and really get excited about. Cat tends to write a lot about geeky stuff. I will do a weekly wallpaper feature. Um, I'm besotted with wallpaper, absolutely obsessed with it. Um, and, you know, we've also got food writers. Um, Kaylee uh, does our gluten-free piece each week. We've got a male cocktail writer, so we do open up to a male audience as well. Um, only, only on the cocktail front, though. That's, our, <laughs> that's the one limited area that, of the site that's going to... No, we've had, we've had a lot of male guest writers as well. If you look at Jim Bobard and Andrew Tanner... Who who's kind of a massive favourite, and the guys behind Mini Moderns as well. So, yeah, the designers are all very much male. So, Does this sort of stuff appeal to you, Lara, or is this very, very alien to your way of thinking? No, what I really liked about what you were saying was, um, you know, encouraging people to save up and, like, spend spend money on something they really, really want rather than going to Primark and buying an £8 dress. I really hate that mentality. I'd much prefer to, 
you know, buy, I don't know, four or five items of really nice clothing a year than, you know, a dress every week, which I think is what people tend to do these days. Um, yeah, I think that's really important. So this is all about, this is a site all about sourcing interesting stuff so people don't have to, because uh, you, you're not going to find it in your average high street uh, shop necessarily. It might be something that has, uh, has come from an independent designer over here and people wouldn't know about it otherwise. Yeah, it's that's a big part of the site. Um, and, I mean, it started off as very much a kind of interiors blog um, and also kind of crossed into food a lot as well. Um, but we are now in a position where an independent designer can get in touch with us and, you know, they may well still be at, at university and just say, look, this is what I do and we'll feature them. And they'll be that'll be the first piece of press they get and we've opened them up to a large audience and... It's really nice to be able to do that instead of just saying that everything we get is from IKEA. Um, it's yeah, it's nice to have a mix on the side. So. I'm not going to ask about the name because it seems to me quite obviously calculated to be just a little bit risque and provocative. I want to know though, have you got yourself into hot water with anyone? for that name we have um there are a couple of companies who didn't necessarily understand the name of the site um when we launched um i think when you look at the site it soon becomes quite obvious that we are kind of using stuttery in a very tongue-in-cheek kind of way um it was a working title um the name of the type of the blog was never meant to be domestic stuttery but after three months of calling it that behind the scenes it stuck um and it and it hasn't changed um now in hindsight i think it was the best thing we could have done um but yeah there are still some companies who shy away from us and if that's the case it it wouldn't be necessarily a great mesh between the two companies anyway so i like that yeah well if they don't want us we don't want them Let's seamlessly move to uh, something that I know is dear to your heart, Lara, cycling in London, particularly south of the river. And we've got news here of the cycle hire scheme being extended, but not in a direction that's necessarily useful to yourself. No, this story is about it's being extended to the southwest. I actually looked at the map uh, this morning. To find out where the southwest is. Yeah, exactly. I don't go there very often. And the cycle scheme seems to be all over London. Like, obviously, it's for all over the central part, the north part. Now it's being extended to the southwest. You see this big, empty void where there was no cycle scheme. It literally goes from pretty much here where we are today in Borough, like, all the way along to the southeast. There is no cycle scheme. Um, Well, I think it just follows the general trend of transport. You know, we haven't had tubes down in the southeast for... Well, we still don't, really. Do you know, I discovered, listeners will be aware of this, but I discovered a few episodes ago why that is. Well, one of the contributing factors of completely different soil down here south of the river, much more difficult to put tube lines in. I'm saying you've got unique soil. <laughs> okay. Does that make us special then? <laughs> uh, what, what is the, the actual reason for the cycle hire scheme eluding you? I really, really don't know. Like I say, it seems to be a general pattern with transport. The southeast seems to be the last to get everything. I mean, it's actually been great, their um, extension of the East London line which comes to Broccoli is shortly going to be extended to Peckham etc etc which is I presume we will get the bikes eventually but it is just we're always last. I can see from your body language by the way you're quite a smiley person and during that monologue uh, you started hitting the desk and you look <laughs> I wouldn't I didn't want to mess with you during that uh, so this, this really vexes you. 
Yeah, yeah, because it is. Why is the southeast of London so cut off? I mean, it is. It is a nightmare. Like like traveling back on night buses to the part of London where I live in. It's you, know, you don't have as many night buses. I've got one. Yeah, one night bus. That's yeah, it. Exactly. Um, and exactly. actually, just one bus into London. Yep. Exactly um, the same. And what I find strange is that the southwest has so many kind of buses out to it i mean you can get a bus kind of brixton camberwell all that area is covered by buses and southeast doesn't have that as much certainly not in greenwich although we do get the dlr and that's fun um but it's yeah it's frustrating to know that actually if we the cycle scheme was in southeast london i could cycle from greenwich to peckham i wouldn't have to get on the one bus that goes between them because i can't get a train between the two and it feels like not only do we get a little bit disconnected from central London, but the areas around us as well, and the cycle scheme would help with that. I wonder whether that might be a contributory factor to the sense of community we were talking about mm. earlier on, because mm. each area is slightly more cut off than mm. in other places in London. That's a really good point. Just like for me trying to get to where you live in Greenwich, it's really really difficult you have to like get on i think two different buses which and then you have to wait for ages at new cross and you know it would it would take like i don't know half an hour 20 minutes to cycle from peckham to greenwich whereas if you were to do it on buses it would seriously take over an hour yeah it's and it's and you're right that whole sense of community particularly in greenwich because we always feel very cut off because of the river and I don't think that's a bad thing I think we like it, it's one reason people do people move to Greenwich Um, and but I remember going to university in Greenwich and not needing to leave either, mm. not needing needing to go into kind of central London because everything I needed was on my little bubble of London. So, but yeah, um, I don't know that people would necessarily use the cycle, the bicycles to get into central London. And I do wonder if that's a contributing factor to them not being installed as quickly. Mm. But that's not to say we wouldn't use them to get to other parts of southeast London. So these concerns that uh, people have expressed that they get melted down and sold for scrap uh, and because it's south of the river, that's completely unfounded by the sounds of it. No, there was a little twinkle in your eye there, Sharon. It's like, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, we should we should move. Well, we could stay southwest. Actually, we've got a story here uh, that takes us to Hampton Court Palace. Yes, we have. Um, we're talking about an evening discussing the history of sex at Hampton Court Palace. Um, apparently, the University of Oxford are going to discuss how British attitudes to sex have altered between the 17th and 18th centuries, and apparently they became more permissive and lots of bedroom conquests from Charles II. And yeah, I just want to clarify, is this the history of sex at Hampton Court Palace, or is it the, the history of sex, comma, at Hampton Court Palace? It's just about sex at the palace, I think. Um, so royal, royal bonking. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. That's it. That seems to be it. Um, um, lots of sex at an event that takes place on Thursday, twenty seventh of September. Well, that's a whole third category you've just opened up there. <laughs> just <laughs> an orgy. <laughs> <laughs> There is a wine to book tickets. So, yeah. <laughs> There's a wine reception at the event. Anything could happen. And just a few, too, few too many glasses. I feel like we're doing very efficient publicity for an event that actually isn't anything like... <laughs> We just, I mean, there's, there's another part. I hesitate to introduce this as a partner piece um, because there's a, a lovely uh, picture of, uh, of William and Kate here. I'd like to know why people keep calling her Kate Middleton still. She's not called 
Kate Middleton anymore, but they do. Um, but this is uh, Mario Testino, British Royal Portraits at the National Portrait Gallery. I'm not going to draw the connection. And, and basically, uh, all eyes were on the Royals uh, before Team GB, according to the article in this week's uh, Londonist, which of course is where we're getting all of our stories from. And the, uh, the famous photographer Mario Testino, who I think is he's famous for supermodels, isn't he? That's very much well, his... Supermodels, not celebrities. But not just supermodels. He did some very famous pictures of Diana as well. Yeah. Um, ah, and that's yeah, a really key thing. Um, and they, he, he does... Um, like he, I mean, his Marilyn Monroe portraits were absolutely famous, and I think the portraits that he did of Diana were actually reminiscent of those. Now, I didn't realise he'd been around that long. He did mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe portraits yeah. as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting that he should be taking portraits of Kate Middleton after Diana as well. It is, and it's it's something that I. I almost find it a little bit uneasy um, mm. because I feel like yeah. a little bit like the uh, the British media are trying to push her into yeah. the the new Diana thing, um, and yeah, there's something about that that makes me feel quite uncomfortable. But I, on, on what level? I, I sort of share the, the the sentiment, but what is it that's making you feel uncomfortable? Well, there's just something very eerie about putting a photo of the future king's wife next to a picture of her of his dead mother just because they're wearing a blue dress that's just comparing someone's wife to their dead mother is actually quite crass in any sense but given that it could be argued that the media played a large part in her death is that legal? Can I say that? No. Well, I don't know. Well, there, there were certainly <laughs> suggestions, weren't there? Um, I think that what makes me feel creeped out is, if you remember those images early on in Charles and Diana's marriage, and I'm not for a second suggesting there's anything unhappy in the, the, the new marriage between William and Kate, but uh, there's something about that chocolate boxy idolised, it's as though we've learnt nothing in 30 years. But I honestly believe that that's... Mario Testino all over um, there's there's very little else in his portraits so yes he can take a gorgeous shot but that's what you get with those photos and he's very safe for the royal family you're never going to get David Bailey doing those And it, although I think he did take a photo of the Queen if I recall David Bailey did and it would just be nice to see someone doing something more interesting they're pretty people well you've picked a funny week to suggest more interesting pictures of Kate <laughs> No, I think it's interesting what you say about sort of Mario Testino's work. It, I, I really think it's all about, you know, celebrity, high glamour. You know, as someone like Nan Golding, I don't know whether you, either of you know her work, which is a lot sort of more brutal and like real life people. And, you know, I think personally, I find those photographs a hell of a lot more interesting than ones taken by Testino, but I wouldn't. You know, he's still a fantastic photographer. So your your ideal then would be William dressed in drag, looking like he's had a night out on the smack. (laughs) That would be a lot more hilarious. It was kind of a... a I think Harry might be. (laughs) (laughs) But just something human. And, I mean, the, the palace seemed to flip from one or the other. They want us to kind of really connect with William and Kate and they really like it when we do that but then they give us something like this which we can't relate to we don't care about just say oh look very nice photo and yeah it's it just looks so cheesy though doesn't it I mean this particular I I don't know was this one by Mario Testino I'm presuming you know it looks like you know one of those family photographers (laughs) okay magazine (laughs) and so we're getting married here's our nice house yeah and 
it's it's a bit dull. There's a photographer's gallery that I walk past on a, a frequent basis where he seems to specialise in those baby portraits and he's he's got this particular style of uh, using light and shadow almost like a 40s film style portrait but creepy baby smiles and I can't quite escape from that idea with this picture anyway that's not a very good advert for Mr Testino if you want to make your own judgment though don't listen to us have a look at the picture here it's at the British Royal Portraits at the National Portrait Gallery you can visit npg.org.uk to find out more that's from uh, October 3rd through the 3rd of February so it's quite a long run there um, we have got uh, bags of stuff to talk about here do we go for the Greenwich the big Greenwich one yes because I, I essentially know that I'm curating a punch up here <laughs> Uh, and it's all around the Cutty Sark, as Sean will explain. Yep, uh, the Cutty Sark um, has been newly restored, and it's won a bad architecture award. Uh, the Carbuncle Cup has actually decided that it's not just one of the worst new pieces of architecture in London, it's the worst new piece of architecture in Britain. Which is quite right, isn't it, Lara? From this photo, I haven't seen it in real life, but from this photo, yeah, I would say it looks really quite horrendous. It doesn't look like a boat anymore. It looks like something which has come from outer space. Um, I'm not sure what all these this metal kind of web that it seems to be suspended in is all about. Um, I suppose at least you can see underneath the boat, but... Sh- Mm, it's not working for me, but I would have to go and view it in real life. Well, then we're all in agreement, all three of us. No, this we're is not. It. <laughs> okay, um, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I think they've done a brilliant job. Um, not only can you see under the boat for the first time ever, you can actually walk around underneath the boat, and that's really key. So, but you can also kind of go on top of it, and it's it's beautiful. Um, the the air, the, that whole area has been quite a sticking point for people in Greenwich um, and not least the restaurants around it um, but the, the centre itself has actually been applauded by people in Greenwich and I think it looks excellent it, what, what do you mean about the sticking point? What's, what's been the problem? Um, well, you know, you're going to put a massive glass building in an area that we're quite proud of um, and they, Greenwich residents certainly would devastated when the, the the fire happened on the Cuddy Sark. I mean, it was just, it was heartbreaking. Um, and, yeah, we wanted to see something really good come out of it. And then it was delayed and all stuff like this. We've been waiting for this for a long time. And I think they've done a brilliant job. And for every person who hates it, there will be more people who love it and think it looks gorgeous. And I'm one of the people who thinks it looks gorgeous. Well, so how, that's a very passionate response, I yeah. must say. How do we explain this award? It's an easy target. Um, it's... I think it's very easy to say, look at it, it's grotesque, it's ugly, you can't see the bottom of the boat anymore, etc. But the Cutty Sark is a big boat, you can see the rest of it. It's not like they hide the entire thing in a museum. Um, that's, I mean, they, the the bit that would be under the water is a very small part. They've, they've turned that into a museum, part of the museum in itself. And that's a really clever thing to have done, because that was just something that was in a stone pit before. Um, it's yeah and the building itself I'm not necessarily a fan of shiny sparkly glass architecture but to make that work alongside a really old boat is yeah it's it's impressive the curves of the glass work with the curves of the boat shiny um. there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And it, and it connects up, doesn't it, with those other uh, buildings with a similar sort of roof structure. I can't help being reminded of the British Museum when I look at this. It seems to be a sort of a thematic connection between these historical sites. I'm surprised, actually, that the Shard didn't get a look in. But I suppose it's not finished yet, is it? They're still missing that bit off the top. It's probably why. What, what are you? Uh, it sounds as though quite a strong defence has been put up there. Are you buying any of that, Lara? I think it... Mm. I would need to see it in real life. Um, so it could be the photographer's fault here, could, taking the picture like this. It could possibly be the photographer's mm. fault, because I presume you've actually seen it in yeah. real life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's really difficult to judge a three-dimensional huge piece by a very small photograph. But as it looks in that photo, you know, I, I don't know, I just can't see that it's working. I don't, I don't like that sort of steel structure with the, with the boat. I don't know. What about other English heritage uh, listings that have happened in the last little while? I know that they brought out their list fairly recently of uh, protected sites that have been upgraded or protected in other ways. Yeah, apparently there's been um, 100 new sites um, across 23 uh, London boroughs, uh, including the Lloyds Building, 19 tube stations, um, the Strand Union Workhouse... Um, and I think wasn't there some um, the telephone boxes as well? Well, Jove, I think you're right. Yes, red uh, the the traditional red uh, K six uh, K six. Yeah, that's exactly right. K six telephone boxes. If you if you want to know what a K six telephone box looks like, just think of a phone box. But the thing which is it's it says it's three K six telephone boxes in Bloomsbury. I don't know why it's those three in particular. No, perhaps some important <laughs> calls were made there by uh, somebody. Oh, no, it's very peculiar. Does that mean that? Most other uh, K6 phone boxes are not pretty. We need, we need to dig a little deeper. This I wonder if are the K6 ones the very particularly tall ones. Well, we've looked up K6 telephone boxes, and they're they're the uh, the red traditional telephone boxes. They're not that tall because I whack my head on the door return every time I go in one. But there are a few that are kind of significantly taller than the others. Um, You're not thinking of the shard again, are you? No, no, I'm not thinking of the shard. <laughs> But there are telephone boxes that are significantly taller so they can be seen. 
Is this true? Yes, yes, this is true. I'm not just making it up. I've never seen one like that. Where are they? I can't remember, and now you're not going to believe me. I don't remember, but I, they, they, there are there are a few that are just significantly taller because of the area they're in. Um, Crystal Palace, I think, has one. With only one? So these are very rare, then? I don't know. Okay, there's a look of panic I've on there. I've seen the... one, um, and now I feel like I'm getting into a massive kind of kind of tumble that I'm not entirely sure. Let's enlist, my phone, let's my enlist the help of the listener. If you know what Sean Meads is talking about, please can you contact us? We need to know about tall telephone boxes. Uh, we've got no evidence for them so far. You may be able to supply... I'm Googling. Yeah. Thanks. Meanwhile, Sean is Googling in the background. We're going to have a revelation. We're going to be doing a very boring uh, Boris Johnson story in just a moment. She's going to go, yes, Crystal Palace. <laughs> do you want to watch? Let's, let's do a poll of our two guests here, one of whom is Googling. She's found the phone boxes. Okay, the show's gone to pieces because of uh, a personal quest. <laughs> Sean, you look like you've found something. I think I have. Um... But not just yet, sorry. Um, this isn't making good radio. Listen to Sean Google. <laughs> can, I, can I coax you off your phone? We, let, let, let's move on, and then I will go back to it, if that's okay, just because I think... Um, you, you've picked up the phone again. You're an obsessive, aren't you? Yes, I am, yes. Are you, are you like that? Do you get a bee in your bonnet, and then you've got to go for it? I, I need to know facts. Um, it's There's something just really... I hate not not finding out the answer to something and just kind of just now having no idea what K6 phone box is. And I'm just like, well, I should know that. So there are listeners listening and shouting and it's just like, well, it's this, you silly woman. And yeah, and yeah, so I have to find out what it is. (laughs) A definite candidate for the quiz later on. Please do tell us about this K6 phone. If you have spotted an unusually tall phone box and it wasn't hallucinatory, please can you tell us (laughs) and uh, help this poor woman out of her mental torment boris johnson who has a regular slot on this show it would seem has put himself in charge of the olympic legacy that's one of the stories this week but there's also news on how you can watch mayor's question time if you've a yen to go and see boris uh, responding to questions and of course they uh, come around with regularity i want to sort of get a straw poll from the two of you have you the faintest interest in seeing the mayor answer questions from the public and the press not particularly i wouldn't like um yeah, I wouldn't take time out of my day to listen or watch it, but you know, I think it's an interesting thing to do, and I think he should be taken. He should um, be questioned by the public and the press. This, but this has the potential to be a very, very dull story if you're not into. And I, what I often wonder about is people say, "Oh, I'm not really into politics," and yet the sort of stuff that's being discussed here. For example, in the last one, um, there was a discussion over two hundred thousand jobs being created in uh, London, uh, extending the DLR to Bromley. Very much the sort of thing we've been talking about in today's recording. Police numbers being maintained or cut back, so to do with our safety. Uh, fire engine. You know, this is very important stuff. It's very much along the lines that we've. Been discussing now what is it that's failing to grasp our imagination when it comes to mayor's question time which is sort of the forum for this stuff getting decided upon getting done and and the public interacting with our beloved leader um i think to be honest it's the politicians themselves i think they're you know they are just quite dull they're not that interesting to listen to i think boris of all of them is the most interesting i'm sure i read on the site this morning that he's just won another poll of being london's favorite 
or Britain's favourite politician? It's, well, it's said that he's the most popular, but I don't necessarily think he's popular for the right reasons. Exactly. He's, he's, he's popular, he's popular because, because he gets stuck in a zip wire. Yeah. And, um, you can't imagine Harold Macmillan doing that, can you? <laughs> I am now. <laughs> but it's... I think I think it's important, um, and I wish I'd engaged more with stuff like that, especially when it comes to the campaign of Boris, keep your promise, and things like that, because I think mayors make a lot of promises, and they say they're going to do a lot of stuff, and then they don't, and Boris is good at that, and I, I believe that he will hide behind the success of the Olympics and go on to win another election. He seems to be trying to take charge of stuff as well. I mentioned he has taken over the Olympic legacy work. Yeah, well, because he's uh, presumably he would have handed that over to somebody else if it hadn't gone as well as he wanted. Absolutely, he would have blamed it all on Ken Livingstone. <laughs> yes, that's always an option. It was the last lot what done it. Um, last week, the mayor announced an inquiry to rival the government's own aviation inquiry competition there again, potentially for number 10, except that the one at City Hall will only consider alternatives to Heathrow. Alternatives to, not expansion of. And of course, there's a, a good relationship with number 10 is what Boris promised us. And uh, he seems to really be baiting David Cameron, doesn't it? Does that mean that we run the risk of getting less help from number 10 as a city rather than more? I think London will always be a priority. Um, and I know this is a Londonist podcast, but I worry about that in itself. Um, we do a very good job sometimes of separating ourselves from the rest of the country. Um, and I think it's not that we should annoy number 10 but I think perhaps looking at ways to be more inclusive and kind of partner with some really amazing cities in the rest of the England and the UK um it's yeah we're very Londoners are very London centric um that's why we have Londonist podcasts and think the city is amazing but I think we forget that there are other cities okay how do I approach this story this is a Okay, look, this is about Westminster Council, and Westminster Council has invoked the new powers that they have been given over squatters. I've got a bit of a problem with Westminster Council's approach to uh, all sorts of things. The fairly hardcore approach to parking seems, it seems OTT. We've talked on the show in previous episodes about their attitude towards the homeless. We had talk of soup runs being banned prior to the Olympics to discourage homeless people from, well, from existing, essentially, but certainly within the borough of Westminster. There was the making it illegal to lie down on the street in Westminster as well, which was uh, being discussed. And now we've got the power over squatters. So yet again, it's uh, this time a successful attempt to criminalise homelessness. Now, I think that squatting has uh, several different facets to it, doesn't it? We've got the, uh, the the aspect which is people who are earning money and for various reasons, perhaps aesthetic, perhaps because they just feel like they don't want to buy a property or spend money on rent, they'll move into a, uh, a disused place and, and take it over. Uh, some would argue that they do it good, some clearly don't do it good. Then you've got long-term uh, homeless people who can't get on the uh, can't get on the council list in any way, who feel the need to squat. You've got other people who sort of officially don't exist within the country who've got no alternative but to squat so this isn't a cut and dry issue and what's happened new council powers have, have come about because of the image of the householder returning home from holiday and finding somebody has set up home in their home 
and the idea of this law being brought in, these powers being brought in, was so that the uh, householder could evict these tenants and they wouldn't have to break the law themselves by breaking down their own front door. All of so my, my heart was in this story. I believed, yeah, this is a good law to bring in. And here we have Westminster Council introducing this law um, where their own properties are concerned and criminalising the people who are squatting within those premises. It's a complex one. It's a thorny one. What do you make of the uh, Westminster Council's approach to this issue, Sean Meads? I think you're right, it is thorny. Um, and it's it sounds actually like the law was put in place with good intentions. Um, but it's if it's not used in the right way, and it does seem to, seem to be that that's that's the case i just there's little empathy for homeless people i think from the government and from people in parliament um and that's actually it's a major issue with london and i think i wonder if over the last few weeks with the olympics we've glossed over it we've made ourselves look like a great city to the rest of the world but we're still a city with problems like we can talk about the riots and all the great stuff that's coming out of that but that's very much reacting to a situation and we do that we're great at reacting to the riots or reacting to the bombings and we really pull together yet when it comes to homeless people that are there every single day we shy away from it because it's not an issue that affects our everyday lives um and i think westminster and kind of the government still brush that under the carpet and i think boris still brushes that under the carpet as well uh, i think that's the bigger issue I think I'm understanding something about our national character here because we certainly like to moan about stuff, don't we? And then we're very proud of ourselves when we have a, a crisis of some description and we stop moaning briefly. That's that's essentially it, isn't it? We've switched the moaning off for a few days. <laughs> I actually work for um, a, a homeless charity, um, SHP, um, doing sort of art, creative art projects. Um, so I work with a diverse kind of range of people who have ended up in the charity through homelessness. And I don't know, it is a massive issue. Um, and people end up homeless for many different reasons, you know, for alcohol, addiction reasons. Um, I don't know, for mental health reasons, for, you know, loss of job, loss of earnings. Um, loss of relationships, quite loss, often. Loss of relationships, yeah, exactly. Um, and all these things lead them, to, you know, to be in a really, really dreadful place. And I think then to actually be penalised, and possibly it says here, actually be put in jail for six months and possibly signed 5000 pounds um it just seems i don't know it seems a very harsh and very narrow-sighted way of treating people who are incredibly vulnerable there's also the arguments that say finding someone who's homeless five thousand pounds isn't going to help the situation (laughs) no if you have no money and also i do i worry that actually jail might be preferable to someone being on the streets and that's a terrifying prospect it's an issue that isn't going to be solved with a very simplistic law. No, this one law fits all approach is is extremely dangerous, isn't it? There's no getting around it. This is this is bad news, and it almost presupposes that anybody who is squatting doesn't really need to squat. This fine, for example, seems to give away an overall view that they've got the money really and they should just behave properly rather than waste it. But these are people quite very often, and it may only be for one night, two nights, something like that. I've got to say my experience having gone around with the uh, the spot team uh, not far from here and, and ha- had a look uh, at night time at how people are coping uh, with homelessness well you start out not knowing what you're doing and if you're going to get caught squatting by making you know, being noticed 
going into a, a building or something like that because you haven't got the experience to keep it quiet, well, you're going to be the, the person who's, uh, who's picked up and fined and, and put in prison. So in, uh, inadvertently, perhaps it even targets the people who are less experienced, you know, the people who really, you know, one or two nights out. You're finding people who are basically trying to stay alive, and that's a really callous thing to do. So what's the answer to this then? Is it a more nuanced law? I think I don't think it's a simple answer. Um, you know, I think the trouble is there are there are loads and loads of empty properties in London and all our cities. Um, I know some of them are unsafe, but surely some of them money can be put into actually making them safe places for people to go. You know, I have no idea how that kind of thing would be funded, but we have got lots of empty space. We've got lots of homeless people. Surely there could, those two could be put together and work as a positive rather than as a negative I, I wonder about the we had a recent change in planning law didn't we from the government and they have allowed us as homeowners now to extend our property a little bit more than we did before and it's part of this conservative i think led thrust to reduce the planning restrictions that surround uh, development and so forth with an, uh, an eye to improving the, the housing situation somewhat well what about if it were made possible or made easier for us to engage a bit of that community spirit that we've been talking about throughout the show in various ways and have some of the post-riot clean-up spirit get us out there with our with our mops and brooms and maybe some some building uh, implements as well and fix up some properties and make them usable I, I would love to think that that would happen and it would be a great idea, but we react to events rather than an everyday thing. There are charities who work on this sort of thing every single day and yet we walk past sometimes 10, 15 homeless people in an afternoon and you know we don't react anymore, which is a terribly sad thing. Um, but I think what Westminster needs to do is stop putting the blame on homeless people. I think that's a, an excellent last word on that story. Okay, I've got to find a I've got to find a way to lift oh, the uh, the mood here from talking about very serious things. Event we're doing next week. An excellent event. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, yes, um, it is. It's an excellent event. Uh, we are teaming up with the Prince Charles Cinema in Leicester Square, and we are screening the Never Ending Story. Um, they haven't screened it for a very long time. Um, I think certainly over five years. Um, and it's absolutely one of our favourite films. It's on Tuesday. Uh, screening starts at 8.30. We are starting with a short film um, from a female filmmaker in the UK who we haven't chosen yet. We entered, we did a competition. Um, we haven't chosen a winner yet. But Crikey, this is a bit last minute then. It's, well, we've got the films. It's, it's fine. It's all good. Um, but no, well, the, no, the f- tickets are selling um, really quickly. They're £10. Um, so and they can be found on what website? You can find them on the Prince Charles Cinema. There is also a link on domesticslattery.com. Um, and, yeah, and you may even be able to buy some on the night. And we might be giving some away today. Um, along the same lines of that, I'd like to say about the... Uh, Free Peckham and Nunhead Film Festival, which has been happening until Sunday. I think it was mentioned in The Londonist last week. Um, it's completely free. You can go along, see films. There's um, all over Peckham and Nunhead. Um, and it will, they'll also, I think there's also something running at the cinema on Sunday, which is where my quilt will be. At the Peckham Multiplex? Yeah. And uh, how do people find out how to get there? Is there a website? Uh, yeah, I can't remember the exact, um, but if you put in to Google Peckham Nunhead Free Film Festival, you'll find all the details of venues and the films that are showing. I like that very Peckham approach to it. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about the exact website, just, you know, 
You'll find us. Come to the right bit of town and ask for me. Someone will tell you. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, A few other things going on in uh, the week ahead for you. Dance company Zoo Nation returned to the West End this week with its acclaimed production, Some Like It Hip Hop, a mashup of Billy Wilder's much loved film and Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. Some Like It Hip Hop is set in a city where books are banned and women are subservient. Directed by Kate Prince, this heartwarming family production features Zoo Nation's trademark style of hip-hop, comedy and physical theatre, with original music by Josh Cohen and DJ Wald. Tickets range from £12 to £38, and the show runs from Tuesday the 25th of September until the 13th of October. Visit saddlerswells.com to find out more. Our art recommendation this week is at the Whitechapel Gallery, part of the Whitechapel's programme of showing rarely seen private collections. This is the first of four displays from the collection Sandretto di Robodengo. Italian artist Maurizio Catalan is known as an agent provocateur, using stunts to address universal themes of dogma, power and death. This solo display includes one of his earliest works, oh yes, a miniature family kitchen featuring a squirrel that has committed suicide. Called Biddy Biddy Biddo Biddy Boo, after the fairy godmother's song in Disney's Cinderella, this work encapsulates Catalan's acerbic wit and his melancholic worldview. The exhibition is free and it runs from Tuesday the 25th of September until December. Go to whitechapelgallery.org to find out more. There's a star-studded theatre show opening at the Harold Pinter Theatre this week. A chorus of disapproval features Rob Bryden, Nigel Harmon and Ashley Jensen on stage and Trevor Nunn in the director's chair. Written by Anna Nakebourne, a chorus of disapproval tells the story of shy young widower Guy who joins a production of the Beggar's Opera that is rapidly going off the rails. Guy soon gets more than he bargained for as he discovers that all the best action happens off stage. Opening on Thursday the 27th of September and running until January, tickets for a chorus of disapproval cost between £10 and £53. Visit achorusofdisapproval.com Now if you love world music, here's a heads up about an exciting festival taking place at the Southbank Centre this week. Darbar is the UK's premier classical Indian music festival and it returns to the Southbank Centre from Thursday for its annual mix of sublime vocals and punchy instrumentalists. Drawing from both Hindustani and Carnatic traditions, the festival gives you the chance to hear the very best maestros and -and up-and-coming artists from the UK and the Indian subcontinent. The Darbar Festival runs from Thursday the 27th and until Sunday the 30th of September. Visit darbar.org to find out more. And finally, a new one-room exhibition at the British Museum has caught our eye this week. Called Ritual and Revelry, The Art of Drinking in Asia, the show examines the importance of alcohol, tea and, of course, water in Asian culture over the past 2,500 years. The exhibition celebrates the ritual and social uses of liquids, including sake, toddy, water and the mightiest Asian drink that has conquered the world, tea. A free exhibition, Ritual and Revelry, opens on Thursday the 27th of September and runs until the 6th of January. Visit britishmuseum.org. And don't forget you can find out more about all of the events just listed and many more, as well as all the stories we've been discussing in today's show at londonist.com. 
Well, the weekly quiz is hoving into view, much to the pleasure of my two guests this week, Sean Meads and Lara Haley. It's just time to let you know that at Londonist, we would love to give you free food and uh, we'd love you to go to riverford.co.uk forward slash Londonist to claim it you will find there waiting for you a half price vegetable box yes fresh seasonal organic veg fruit and meat delivered to you for half price thanks to riverford and londonist charmides lara haley are you strapped in and ready for this week's historical quiz goodness yes (laughs) (laughs) i'm getting competitive already (laughs) Uh, okay so five points available and uh, the honour of you and your project at stake. Monday, the 17th of September, 1961. Police arrest 1,314 demonstrators at a CND, that's Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, protest in Trafalgar Square. Which noted philosopher is amongst those arrested? I actually read this story this morning, and I've forgotten the answer. I don't know. Not overly successful between the two of you, then. Uh, there are guesses about It's a noted philosopher who was alive in 1961. Lots of gesturing, good. Shaking of heads, but still silence. Go on, yes, there was nearly a word there. There was, there was. <laughs> Can't we have some clues? The question one moves into its second hour. Yeah, Can I do an impression of him? <laughs> I've never seen the man talk. Uh, he speaks with a very effete, uh, uh, well-educated... Sort of French, of, but no, he's English. <laughs> That's not, an English not a very good impression. <laughs> a very, very clipped, um, a very clipped sort of uh, side-parted kind of a fellow. Highly English, very English name. Same name as a famous P.G. Woodhouse character. Do you know every listener to this show is going to be going, it's Bertrand Russell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was it Bertrand Russell? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Terrible. 18th of September, 1970. Who is found dead in his basement flat in Notting Hill, West London? Jimi Hendrix. It was Jimi Hendrix, oh. yes. Guitar legend Jimi Hendrix. Oh, uh, subsequent inquest records an open verdict on his death, noting that he drank wine and took nine sleeping pills on the previous night. I would have drawn conclusions from that myself, but there we go. Wednesday, the 19th of September, but in which year? Six people die as a high-speed Intercity 125 train collides with a freight train in Southall, North London. An inquiry would find that the driver missed two warning signals and that the train's two safety systems could have averted the accident. They were inoperative. What year did the Southall rail crash happen? And I'll give it to you within two years. 90? 1990? 1993? No. No, you need to go higher. I'll give you one more guess. 96. Uh, It's 97, so Sean, yeah, you get your second point. Thursday, the 20th of September, 2000. What is fired? I need you to be very precise here. What is fired at the MI6 headquarters at Vauxhall Cross, causing minor damage to the eighth floor? What was the date? Uh, this is uh, 2000. I, I don't even remember this happening, but apparently it did. Oh, it could be anything. It could. Let's have a few guesses. Is it a starter pistol? It was not a starter pistol. Oh, it, oh We're I after see. the projectile. Oh. Very specific sort of projectile. So party poppers can't be my next answer. <laughs> <laughs> catapult. Not a catapult. Think slightly more dangerous, for goodness sake. A cannon. A good, good guess. Um, oh, this is turning into quite a comic strip in my mind, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> a shot put. Not a shot put. What a delightful answer. <laughs> this is a fun evening. Do you know what? I'm just going to let this question 
run, we could just use this as the show. I, look, we need to get dangerous. And I'll give you one guess each. Yes, closest one is going to uh, to win well, this point. More dangerous than a cannon? Yeah, that was quite dangerous, wasn't yeah, it? Kind of like a, a bazooka. Yeah, that's that's not bad going. Do you want to I was thinking machine it? gun, but I don't know. It was an, it was an anti-tank missile. Oh. An anti-tank... Oh. Our answers were better. <laughs> yeah. Your answers were way better, yeah, yeah. absolutely. The real IRA, who didn't think of any of those modes of attack, is blamed for the attack. Um, finally, so I suppose I've got to give that to you. You said bazooka. That's kind of that's pretty I close. Party popper. And yeah, you're right. You've talked yourself out of that point. <laughs> yeah. uh, Friday, the 21st of September, 1969. More than 200 policemen storm a mansion in Piccadilly, central London. But why? 21st of September, 1969. A legal party? You're, you're on the right track. Was it squatters? It was squatters. Yeah. Oh. It was squ- and all the work done for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was very good. That's three to Sean and two. Oh, that's the lowest scoring quiz we have ever had. Oh, no. <laughs> well, there we go. Sean Meads, you are the champion of this week's uh, quiz. Lara Haley, you go home in shame and uh, yes, try and work out what happened. <laughs> Thank you both for joining us. A quick reminder of, uh, of websites or uh, contact it, just a, a, a bite-sized smidgen to leave us with. Uh, my quilt, um, which is uh, post-it notes from uh, Peckham Peace War, will be on display in uh, Peckham Cinema, which is on Rye Lane. This and the lifestyle blog for women who have better things to do is domesticsluttery.com. You can also follow us on Twitter as Domestic Sluts. Laura Haley and Sean Meese, thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you. And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to my interviewees, Sean Meads and Lara Haley. Thanks too to Bernie Barkley, Zoe Craig and Dave Haste. Theme and incidental music was by Jack Hurd and Rory Anderson. And I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. i
it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.